hey everyone. Welcome to episode 226 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Jordan Ingley, a landscape photographer living in Portland, Oregon, who has an extensive background in video production and live event production. I was fortunate to meet Jordan at last year's Out of Chicago Live conference, and I've really been enjoying bantering with him over on Twitter. Jordan and I discuss a variety of topics this week, including venue and concert video production, shifting to photography as an income, struggles with making money and conserving nature, flow states, digital workflows, and more. There is no bonus episode on Patreon this week because I wanted to keep all of our conversation in one episode. So basically, everyone gets a free Patreon bonus episode this week. Speaking of Patreon, I wanted to thank these very kind souls for supporting the show since 2017. Thanks to Alexander Otto, Jeff Peterson, William McIntosh, Kirk Keyes, and Jesse Thorpe. Your support over the past four years has meant a great deal to me. I am truly doing this project for the community, and I hope that I still provide value to you all. Sometimes I do question whether or not the podcast is worth continuing, but I'm constantly reminded by you that it indeed is. Thank you. Okay, let's get to the show. Awesome. Jordan Ingley, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Matt. Really appreciate the opportunity to hang out and talk about photography with you. Yeah, man. I feel like we first met because you were moderating uh, out of Chicago panel that I was part of for astrophotography. And and then and I think we were exchanging a few emails and I was like, oh, it's that dude that moderated that panel. So it's awesome to uh, finally um, have you on the podcast to to really get to know you. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. It was a crazy time then, you know, <laughs> and it was like, what was it? I think it was the epic astrophotography, you know, yeah. which was a funny topic to talk about. So yeah. And that was like a month into COVID. So everyone was like yeah. learning how to use zoom and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh man. Well, so for people that have uh, not heard of you or have been familiarized with your photography yet, we're going to fix that today. Let, uh, let the listeners know a little bit about yourself and how you got into photography. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yep. My name is Jordan Ingley. I am, uh, I currently am based out of Portland, Oregon. Um, been out here since 2007 or so. Um, and I grew up in upstate New York, uh, spent a lot of my childhood years kind of running around rural areas of, of upstate New York and spending a lot of time outside upstate New York, where I was lucky enough to have a family that really embraced technology. From when I can remember, we always had a computer in our house. What was my, your first computer? Uh, uh, it was, I think it was like a 286 or something. I can't okay. quite remember the name. It was it was a PC. We never had a Mac. Got um, it. Mine was a Commodore 64, so that probably dates oh, nice. a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I did have to learn to use DOS uh, kind of right from the get-go. So, um, And my right. parents, my mom was all about video cameras. We always had a video camera running for every holiday, just randomly on a tripod in the back of the room. Really? Um, yeah, all the time. Like, I actually 
there was a couple of Christmases ago where I found all the VHS and high eight tapes and transferred them all to discs, um, as like the Christmas present. And it was like stacks upon stacks of just random VHS tapes. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, and so it was a really, uh, really crazy. Cause like my, my parents, um, were really into computers as well as my uncle and my grandmother. Uh, and it was weird. Like everybody played video games and had a Nintendo and that was kind of kind of spurred a tech love in our family, um, through like the nineties and late eighties or so. So, um, when, you know, I wasn't doing that, I was playing around outside trying to use my imagination, used to run around with a Polaroid camera and take pictures of my, my sisters doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and, um, or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, it's funny. I have a, I have an image online of me doing a selfie with, a the Polaroid that's just, you know, it's from like 93. Um, I was a man before his time, I tell you. Um, nice. but yeah, the, it kind of all took me, um, like when I eventually graduated high school, I was, I grew up in, again, this rural area in New York and I like immediately needed to get out of the small town. And I ended up uh, going to college in Buffalo, New York. And that's where I really found, um, my love for like media production, uh, like producing media and video and photography. And the school I was at actually had a degree called media study, which is like, almost sounds like basket weaving 101 for like, like video production. Um, uh, but it was, it almost was, it was like an art department, but for video production. And it kind of opened my world up to using computers and cameras to create art um, that wasn't your, your typical art. And it wasn't like the, that video camera recording the Christmas presents in the back of the room. So um, I, I was lucky to find that major pretty soon in my college career and like immediately sunk my teeth into it. And I ended up kind of spending a lot of my time in the more live production side of things. They had you know, we did these like music is art events where they had live painting with concert music and we were filming bands as well as like kind of like interviews with the artists at the time and then producing a live show that would go broadcast in the local um, local TV station there. And um, but through like the like the standard video production realm, I started to take photography courses as a minor and um, music courses as a minor. Um, and I kind of built my own minor, which somehow I pulled off, really kind of came out of college with like liberal arts slash music slash photography degree. Luckily, I went to a state school um, and my, my, I didn't come out with too much debt after that. But what I, I definitely came out with a lot of experience. We'll just say that. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, I know what that means. Yeah. 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 I did it in four years though. So like, you gotta give me that one. But with college, I ended up, I ended up getting myself into a couple of really cool internships. One of which was working at a local TV station doing on-screen graphics, 2D graphics um, for like the news, the local news station. And I worked with um, like a teacher of mine um, who I first learned Photoshop from was their uh, head graphics guy for the station. And he got me in underneath him to work as an internship. And that's when I really like learned 
Photoshop. And this is probably 2003 or four or so. Okay. So, like so Photoshop um, one or Photoshop two. Yeah, or I think I think it was even it was a little higher than that because my first version of Photoshop was um, was in '98, and it was on a computer that my sister's boyfriend built for me. Um, and back then, I was just layering stuff and painting it and creating weird arts. I was really into psychedelic arts even as a kid, um, and I had two older sisters that were like deadheads. So I had a lot of a lot of art uh, experience back then, and so it had always been a way to like blend all these things together in Photoshop. And you know, once I learned how you could use it to create like these graphics and using text, um, it became one of my favorite ways to create art. And in that degree, I also uh, one of my favorite teachers. He actually taught a thing called visual poetry, um, and I ended up taking four courses with this guy. Um, granted, this is what got me out of college in four years. So, you know, the classes were like pass fail, uh, for sure. But it was like learning how to create, use like visuals to make poetry. And, you know, this is college, right? So anything kind of goes. And that was the first time I learned how to like create arts, right? And then like how to come up with some sort of way to like express something with it which then kind of made it art and not just a random piece of media. I don't know about you, but I feel like that that's something a lot of the photographers struggle with in terms of looking at their own work. It's like, I mean, oftentimes I'll take a, take an image, pull it into Photoshop and I really like it, you know, compositionally, whatever, like colors are cool. It's what, what, what is it saying? Does it say anything? Is this even artistic? You know, it's like, it looks cool, but is there more to it? And I often sometimes wonder if as photographers, we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole sometimes, you know, in terms of like making something quote unquote art when it's really just a nice photograph. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think having multiple artistic outlets can really help spur this way to like cross lines between things. Music was a huge influence for me. And I spent um, about five or six years gigging and teaching. And I was playing in a heavily improvisational band. And that experience of figuring out how to like create, like communicate with music um, when you improv with somebody um, and kind of like those experiences of like, taking some literalness out of something and replacing it with something that, you know, more of the, you know, uh, you know, illusion or whatever. So, you know, for folks that struggle with that, I think that's where, uh, you know, a, a good exercise for me is to find a poem that relates to an image. And that's, you know, sometimes I'll hop on, you know, poetry.com and just randomly search for topics. And um, that I used to post, it's, that's how I first really started posting on Instagram all the time to make myself seem like well-read. <laughs> but it, but the it, the but secret's it, out. Really, the secret's out. Um, but I, I, I do feel like the, you know, that's one way just to cross over. Um, and I think we need to like get out of that box for a moment to try to give it other literal meaning and kind of going back, like, yeah, sometimes you don't want to make art. You don't care. Um, sometimes you're just documenting what's happening. But for me, it's always been about art creating something, you know, I have more fun creating 
usually than like actually showing anybody it. That's, that's, you know, the process there. And I feel like, you know, the, the, the move from music into photography was, I mean, music is still so huge in my life. Um, like I, it, I'm a big fan of like, you know, soundtrack to life and, and relating it back to my love for music and playing music and teaching music. And I feel like photography is just another language to be able to communicate to people without literally saying words. Yeah. You know, what yeah. I found is interesting about that process is that sometimes we're not sure what exactly we're communicating, but the audience is communicated with and they will tell you what it is you, you've communicated to them, even though you maybe didn't even intend to do that. And I find that relationship to be really interesting. Like, here's what I was trying to communicate. And then they're like, well, actually, this is what it does for me. I've always found that to be really interesting. Yeah. Don't you find it hard to try to get real feedback like that, though? You know? I, yeah, uh, I think the only way I've found to do it is just ask, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Literally ask people, like, the what does this photograph speak to you? What does it do for you? What does it say to you? Um, mm -hmm. You'll get some interesting answers. I've yeah, found. no. Yeah, I, I, I'd imagine. Yeah. What I, um, what I was going to say was, is that uh, recently, and the way I've been trying to create compositions has been almost like, oh, trying to create compositions that you, like the viewer has to fill in the blank, you know? Um, instead of like, you know, when you shoot a waterfall, instead of showing where the waterfall hits the water, I like tucking it behind a rock. So the viewer has to kind of imagine what that must look like back there. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, what are those things called with the fill in the blanks where this, like the dog goes blank you know, like and an then he goes to the ad blank. Lib, an ad lib? An ad lib. Yeah. Um, it has to do with music too, where when you're playing like improvisational music, you are trying to listen while playing and you have to hear people to communicate back to them while you play a lick. And then you have to give it space to hear what they're playing. And if somebody changes key, you have to hear that. So then you can adjust your playing to say something back to them. And I know I, I'm not trying to act like I'm just like whisking through the forest thinking like this about it. This is actually coming to me more so right now. Um, but I do feel like, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to act like I, you know, this is where my brain's at all the time when I'm out in the field and processing. But I, I feel like trying, trying to be less literal with compositions just, again, allows the viewers to fill in those blanks. I'm curious, you know, kind of in relation to what we were just talking about, you know, you, you have such a wide range, ranging background in live events and media production and music instruction. How has that background shaped your approach to photography and your creative life? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, initially what even got me, other than like randomly playing with cameras my whole life, um, my professional life has been based around like video and video production, live video systems. And when I first started getting into live production, I was doing multi-camera live streaming and multi-track audio recording at these concerts. I was lugging in all this gear and I was playing with these small chip little video cameras and the images were just, I just, they were so bad. Um, and then I, you know, 
I'd see this guy roll in with a couple DSLRs and make these still images and high resolution. And I was kind of always envious of that guy because he could just like, oh, I got my first three songs. All right, I'm going to go get a beer and get out of here. Um, so music brought me, eventually, <laughs> I purchased my first interchangeable lens cameras, uh, mirrorless Micro Four Thirds, Panasonic GH2s. And that got me into a little higher quality video, but I eventually started taking still images of concerts with them. And that addiction into photography um, kind of really got caught its teeth in me. When I first started shooting concerts, I was using all manual lenses. I was like adapting anything I could find at Goodwill that I could adapt, like adapt to Micro Four Thirds that was fast enough to use. And I, I tell you, I was shooting with like a 70 to 200 in concert scenarios with manual focus. And I'm, I'm like, I'm just blown away that even some of those images turned out. Not like you could see very well. No. Well, yeah, those, I mean, they were mirrorless cameras, but the screens were so bad. And I I was shooting on the back of the camera and just kind of spraying and praying half the time. But eventually when I got my first real DSLRs uh, in like 2000, I think it was like 2015 or so, that's when like I really put a lot of effort and time into concert photography. And that world taught me a lot about learning my camera and finding moments and working with light, like bad light most of the time. And when I finally started working with larger bands that had like real lighting rigs. Um, it really, you really had to learn how to work with this like ever changing, you know, dynamic range of a scene in a music venue around drunk people uh, <laughs> in the dark, you know? Right, 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 and um, that was like my formative years with photography. And I was, you know, lucky that I eventually, I, I got my first like real, uh, industry gig in 2013, working at um, the largest event center here in Portland, the Oregon Convention Center. And I worked there for about five years where I learned, like I shifted out of concerts and started working in corporate and like nonprofit world and really starting to learn high-end, high-stress live events. Um, and I kind of pushed my video expertise into, you know, like I, I started to become, um, like started to direct more shows and started to build more video systems with projection and, uh, led wall, um, and started to work more as a live camera operator on events, um, where we would be, you know, if you go to a concert or an event and you see cameras up on the screen, you know, I'd be the person either calling those cameras or running the cameras. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Or building the screen that that image is on. And this kind of career shift gave me more space to step away from a lot of the video production and weird rando graphic design gigs I was doing and allowed me to start to just kind of shoot concerts and then spend more time with my camera shooting other things. Right. So is that, um, uh, is that the kind of work you're doing full-time now? Um, yeah. I mean, that's full-time is a, is a, not really a word. <laughs> 2020, uh, basically eviscerated my industry. Um, oh, yeah, but bet. for, from about 2015 till like through 19, I 
I've been working quite regularly. Um, my, my, uh, I, you know, let me step back. My, my, the way my industry works as a freelancer is it's a, it's a rain or pour world where there's certain seasons where I would go week on week off five weeks on a week off, bang, 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 show after show after show. Um, and then you'd have like, you know, three months off. <laughs> uh, and that's been kind of my, my main source of income is through live events, but also I've been running this kind of production company, um, services company doing photography and video editing. And uh, I've done time-lapse for some corporate stuff. And so I've kind of like wrapped all this live event and media stuff into my company, um, that I call visual suplex. And, and, you know, the live event stuff really taught me how to like on these bigger events, we would spend all this time planning the show, building the show in like a short period of time, rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. And then once that do- the doors open and the people come in and, you know, the lights go down, it's just go time. And I feel like that world has taught me, like I've, I've, I've taken that into my photography because I spent a lot of time in, in the studio, the laboratory. I like to say, um, with my gear and I still like, anytime I find a new piece of hardware gear, uh, you know, I've always been somebody to like, take it to my little local haunt and use it and practice with it and like know it as much best as I can, because in my industry, you need to know your stuff because when, you know, the show goes, you have to act. Yeah. It's not like you can just get the manual out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I have a good picture of what it is you're talking about. So can you give me an example of like, like an, a live event, like you're describing? Um, yeah. So some examples of like the live event work I do, um, I'll kind of start, it's been wide ranging, but I'll, I'd like to start kind of probably more recently through 2019 and 18. I, um, I've been specializing mainly in large screen video installations and uh, LED video wall, um, multi-camera projection um, for, think about events for, well, there's events I can't talk about, <laughs> um, but I've worked with all the major tech companies. I've worked, I've worked, uh, I've worked in tour- touring and concert um, uh, events, as well as music festivals, sporting events. Um, I did, <laughs> I did NASCAR for like a year and a half. Um, which was a trip <laughs> to say the least. Right. Um, I'm sure that was awesome. And well, and in that, in that world, um, uh, we, I'm like, I'm a video engineer, but I'm also a stage rigger and, um, I'm fully, uh, certified for large scale boom lift operation, um, on big screen walls, like at NASCAR, uh, we build 40 foot by 80 foot screens that were hung 60 feet off the ground and we would build them in columns and they were all wired with power and data and my job as like an engineer would be the one of like figuring out how to map the images across such a large screen when you take a small little camera 1080 signal and you blow it up to 40 feet wide right. there's systems that that display that all across um and then when one of those panels out of the f- 800 of them goes dead. I put on my five point harness, climb up a 40 foot ladder, and then climb up that wall to fix a video panel. 
Uh, and a video panel uh, would basically of, be like a 50-inch TV or something? Um, in this world, they're meter-by-meter meter, uh, squares, and they're built into like metal frames that hold them, so they can be built into bigger squares. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and it, so if like a, one of those panels goes dead, I would throw a rope on it, throw it down to my guy on the ground. He swaps it with a, a new one. I pull it up, snap it into place, plug data and power in, and then the signal keeps working. Um, and that's one world. And then the other worlds, again, uh, using hardware to send all these video signals across large screens into multiple areas of big venues using fiber optics and other sorts of video uh, technologies. Based on what you're just based on what you're describing and the experience of COVID and you know live events just getting eviscerated, I think I know the answer to the next question. But um, <laughs> <laughs> why have you made the decision to shift away from that model of income generation to the more traditional workshop based photography income model? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. COVID answered. 2020 was supposed to be a really good year for me, yeah. uh, for a lot of people, yeah. um, uh, you know, outside of, um, being put on, as I like to say, forced early retirement without benefits, I have been wanting to shift my career into more photography based, uh, modes of income for years. Um, because I've been, you know, for about four years, I was traveling, 150, 200 days a year right. all over the place. Like I actually didn't work in Portland a lot. <laughs> I was yeah. in like Vegas and LA and San Francisco and uh, Miami and New York and Chicago. And like my life was flying, 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 flying. And I always had my camera with me on all these shows. So any opportunity that I would have where the show would be done and I'd be, you know, in Vegas, I'd be like, Hey, you know, can you change my return flight three or four days out? And then I'd rent a car and then drive to, you know, Death Valley. Right. Um, so f photography was that, you know, uh, you know, was my therapy in that world because I was surrounded by thousands of people constantly. Um, some of the music festivals I've done have been over 150,000 people. And wow. just like the energy and buzzing of that after a week of... I did this one called EDC in Vegas, and it was from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m., four nights in a row. But we were there a week early and a week after setting up everything. Um, I lived on, I, I lived down there in Old Town, Vegas. It was like the worst experience ever to like live on Fremont uh, at a crappy, they didn't even put us in the nice hotel. <laughs> um, so the, I've been wanting to get away from that. Um, you know, the, my world isn't always, you know, the events I'm doing aren't doing anything good for the world. I mean, mm. I did NASCAR for a little while. It was like the most disgusting use of everything. <laughs> uh, and I've just, you know, connecting with nature and photography has pulled me away from just driving for the dollar with that mm. work. Mm. Um, and so, you know, COVID kind of gave me a push uh, to try to make this shift. And it's, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I've never been somebody who's just on and off. Like I've never just quit a job without another job. And because I've been freelancing for years, I've <laughs> jobs just end <laughs> sometimes. Um, so like, even when COVID hit, it was just like, you know, when it rains, it pours, it just poured for a year and a half. 
Um, and you know, what's interesting is, is I had been wanting, I had been wanting a year and a half off. I had been so busy for years and I had so much momentum that even up until like my events started canceling in January because of COVID, because the events I was working were of for tech companies who saw it coming. Um, and it was like an interesting experience to see this like slow motion train wreck happening. And then once it all stopped, I kind of had to like figure out how to live again, being home and like grow my roots and do what am I doing with all this free time, quote unquote. Um, and, you know, I thought come, you know, I thought by mid-year in 2020, my photography business was going to be rip roaring. And I learned that there was a lot of, a lot of uh, things I had to learn about myself and, you know, just how to, you know, live through co- like that year, you know, the mental effect of all of that changed so much. Um, and it was a really rough year for a lot of people, obviously. Um, it, it opened my eyes to a lot more about what I want to be doing. And it also helped to teach me to be like, realize that uh, I'm still struggling with whether or not I really want to make photography be my only like, like level of income. Um, I've been kind of like grasping on it and like not wanting to fully jump in because it's been kind of mine for like the last four or five years prior to getting into like landscape stuff. Back then I was doing so many small projects and like video projects that were so intensive that I spend hundred hours editing a small project that nobody watches. And I got so sick of doing work for other people that when photography came into my life, it was about me and what I want and why am I doing this? You know, what images do I want to make? Um, and that I think is kind of, it's a sometimes prevented me, prevents me from fully jumping in, you know? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, Cause you brought up earlier that one of your motivations was, having a negative relationship with money and the work you were doing and how you didn't feel like it was really contributing anything positive to the world. You know, you're making money, but like it's for NASCAR. Right. (laughs) And, and I think it's, it's interesting to talk about this as photographers because I think that most photographers that you'll talk to have this, um, well, nature photographers, I guess there's this kind of, insidious relationship that we have with with money because on one side we're doing this thing because we want because we love it you know we love taking images of nature we love showing the world nature we love being artists and everything that comes with that but we also know that in order to do that i need to make money so that i can survive and often the thing the the behaviors that we're kind of forced into because of our profession whether that be NFTs or teaching workshops at places that maybe we don't need more workshops at, or you know, bringing attention to places in nature that probably can't sustain it, you know, there's this there's this dichotomous argument inside of our minds where it's like I have to make money and I have to be a steward of nature, and it's really hard to do both of those things well. And so I'm curious if that's something that you're starting to struggle with as well as somebody who has recognized your own um, challenging relationship with money in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, 
maybe money sucks, man. You know, I like to, I, I always like to make this joke on live events where I'm like, I actually, I work for free. I get paid to push boxes. Um, you know, um, the, like we, we, we have to be real with ourselves that most of the industries we work in and the things we do every day has a negative impact on nature. Um, even before we get into photography and, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people who can be minimalists, who don't eat meat, who don't fly anywhere, who don't wear shoes, you know, but where's the, where's the line that we all, you know, draw on the sand when it comes to being able to sleep good at night. Um, Mm -hmm. and for me, it was, you know, I was getting paid to make net global brands look awesome and they were burning piles of money and, you know, generators worth of gas, um, you know, to show, you know, spending weeks and weeks and weeks, hundreds of people to put on the show that just creates more garbage and creates more waste. And, you know, that, yeah, when I then, you know, when I get off that event and then go and drive to a natural area and go take some photos and be in nature, I think about that more. And now here we are in 2021 and, um, you know, we just had 116 degree weather in Portland. Um, I now know of four areas that that have been decimated by fires that are never going to be the same again. A couple of them in my backyard. Um, it's, eh, you know, I'm not going to preach at anybody because I, I don't make great choices all the time, but I feel like, you know, making photography was supposed to be kind of a way to uh, shift away from that work. And then now over the last couple of years, yeah, it's been just acknowledging where even the waste that occur with photography and right. I, mean, I don't know the answer to it. It's so funny. Know. Cause you know, I, I got into drone photography. Drone photography is very heavy battery usage, you know, in order to do it in the field, you probably should have like a pretty big solar generator and, a, you know, an ability to, you know, you have a giant lithium ion battery, lithium phosphate battery that you can recharge your drone batteries with. And you know that that required mining <laughs> and in some yeah. country, you know, that they had to desecrate the earth in order to get those minerals in order to make that battery so that I can fly a drone. So like we're constantly faced with these, these internal conflicts around, photography and and our work and is it making the world a better place or am I just making it worse even though I feel good about myself because I'm taking pretty pictures of nature I mean it it is it is something that I struggle with too yeah I I want to say that I think the first step is struggling with it you know like if you start to feel weird about it that's a good thing yeah Um, I think that's right uh because at least then we could start to make some choices um but it's yeah, no, that's a good point. It's hard I mean, to... it might make you question your decision. Like, do I really need to travel to Patagonia this year um, to take photos? Or can I get equally exciting photos from a two-hour drive close to home? You know, both of them require carbon, but one of them requires less, you know? Um, so it's... Well, and, and 2020 was a great year for the finding the local space. I mean, for me... I got, I spent my, I mean, I'm lucky to live in Oregon. I'm in Portland. I'm 90 minutes from like epicness, (laughs) uh, usually, um, for now. 
until it's on fire. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've also, it's interesting because I spent, I, I actually got out quite a bit in 2020, spent a lot of time in some local areas. I even put together like a best of Oregon calendar for Christmas. And it was great to hit some spots that I, you know, when I'd get home from these events, um, I'd want to chill. You know, um, I need to like, I need to also be home with my partner and my dog and try to manage life, not on the road. And, um, so 2020 also kind of told me to slow down a little bit and I'd go and, you know, hit the Cedar Grist Mill or like some weird rando, you know, area locally that I just kind of always wrote off. But this year I've actually shot even less than 2020, though I'd I'll, I'll, I did. I was in Kauai for a week, so that was probably my carbon footprint <laughs> for a minute. Um, right. But I've been leaning into editing a lot recently. And t- 2019 for me, um, I was in a really unique scenario where I was on long-term runs of work in the Bay Area, where I'd have weekends off or like a week off, and they'd pay me. Um, so I'd. I, I, I drove, I started to drive down from Portland to the Bay area. And then when I have weekends off, I go, you know, go down to Monterey, Big Sur, go out to Santa Cruz or up to the Redwoods. And, um, so I did a lot of shooting in 2019 and I've been kind of leaning on processing that. Like I have looked out my window, which is back over here numerous times. I can, it faces West and I can see when the sunset might be good or bad. And I spend more time looking at that and going, I'm working here. I'm putting my time in processing right now and working on my website. And like, I've traveled a lot enough right now. And there's so much work to be done, not shooting, even though shooting is the best part. um, But this creation part for me is where I live. I love Photoshop. You know, I'm not that person, you know, the people I've heard, like I'm, I'm envious of the people that are like, Oh, I spend an hour or two on my image and I walk away. I have a stand-up desk and I jog while I edit, you know? And I'm like, oh man, like I love, I, I want to be here. I like this part of it, um, which goes back to my, you know, background in in graphic design and video editing and, and using media to create art because I'm just the worst. I'm the worst. I can't draw, can't paint. Well, just real quick, I wanted to remind listeners that time is running out to enter the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. This unique landscape and nature photography competition was created to elevate and promote photographers and photography that adheres more to the natural presentation of nature. While we do allow some basic editing in the competition, such as adjustments to exposure, contrast, and color, we will be placing a large emphasis on our golden rule, which states that the integrity of the subject must be maintained. To learn more and to enter the competition, you can head over to naturallandscapeawards.com. The deadline is August 31st, so make sure you act quickly. Listeners can enjoy a 15% discount by using the code PAIN15. We are looking forward to seeing your amazing submissions. Let's get back to our conversation with Jordan Ingley. Yeah, so, you know, kind of just circling back on how, you know, 
photography as an art form with, you know, um, photography as an art form became such an outlet for me that it, it, it brought to light that the work I was doing um, was, again, just making money for these companies just to make them look cool. And I kind of had, you know, this urge to shift my income and revenue stream to uh, other areas where I had more control over what I was doing and why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't been an easy transition um, because, you know, I, I got on Instagram back in 2015. And um, back then, I didn't even really know a lot of landscape photographers. Um, at the time, it was I was doing more concert photography and, you know, cityscapes around town and and I was kind of going out and shooting some nature stuff. Um, and I've always been into like waterfalls and being outdoors and all that. And, but, um, you know, photography still was always this mine thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a, it's been an interesting struggle this last year, year and a half to kind of make this transition into being more of a, you know, I mean, I am, I am a professional photographer, but I'm also an amateur photographer. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's really weird. I, I, my lines have blurred so much over the years that, you know, one moment I'm making money with my camera, the next moment I'm just having fun with it. You know, sure. yeah. Um, I just shot a wedding a couple of days ago, uh, and I'm, I like got on board. I'm shooting some weddings this season because I need, you know, I need to make some money. And, you know, I, live events I've always l- like leaned on, um, you know, shooting concerts or little music videos or um, I've done headshots for bands of, you know, I've done a wedding here and there, did real estate photography for a while. But like nature, landscape, fine art photography has been like mine. Um, so it's 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 been really interesting. I, you know, I've tried not to make too many hard and fast goals or statements about what I'm trying to achieve with this because I don't a want to like let myself down, but I also like B don't want to commit to something that I can't achieve or don't want to achieve. (laughs) Um, and, and it's like, you know, I sit and I ask myself sometimes why I haven't gotten further down the path to being a professional, you know, landscape photographer. And I just think that there's, there's parts of me that are just intrinsically preventing that. <laughs> um, and it's interesting. I've listened to some of your podcasts. I can't remember which one I was listening to. And somebody was, to, again, talking about, like, you know, be, are you sure you want to be a professional photographer? <laughs> you know, um, because if you don't have to be, that might be more fun. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure, you know, right. Like you work full time, you do this as a passionate thing and I'm sure you wish you had more time. Right. But I'm sure you also probably don't mind it not having to have to support, like put food in your kid's mouth. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I definitely, I mean, I've made concerted efforts to make it my sole income, but it's, I mean, it's so inconsistent, hit or miss, um, you know, faster feast or famine. Um, and then I, I, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of the people that I see doing really well, they're having to make some really tough decisions about, you know, ethics and, and, you know, sacrificing some things they might strongly believe in, in order to just make a little bit of money. And, 
that that's really tough, you know. And I feel like a lot of photographers face that challenge, especially in this space of nature and landscape. It's, you know, it's you can only there's only so many ways to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And and they've gotten smaller, right? Like there's fewer, and the ones that are around the. Some of them are really nasty. I don't know. Like being an influencer just sounds just kind of depressing. I don't know. Yeah. Like, um, again, you well, talk to somebody. Na- nature is nature is a product. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you have hordes of people that need more content, more content. And you know, I'm um I'm lucky to have like I'm lucky to be able to call Nick Page a buddy of mine. Like we've he's taken me under his wing and opened me up to some great opportunities and I've taken some uh, workshops with him and we've had some really good conversations. And I, I always like to pick his brain about what it's, what it must be like to have that many followers or like how that many YouTube su- subscribers, you know? And I mean, it takes a toll on that guy, man. Um, oh, no doubt. You know, and it takes a toll on a lot of people and, you know, I, I, I don't want that. Right. But I do want to, I love to teach people photography. I love to continue to work with people or inspire people. And I want to reach people, but those downsides don't, you know, don't jive all the time. Um, And again, working as a, I've been a kind of more or less freelancer with no day job for the last six years, doing anything and everything I can, spreading my net wide. Um, And that's taught me some things to be like, like I'll work really intensely for a couple of weeks or a week or a month on a gig. And then the show's over and I say, see you later to all my, comp- you know, compadres. And, and then, you know, maybe I won't ever see them again or I'll see them on the next show. Um, and the, you know, and it's like all this stuff getting pushed into a venue and then it all gets pulled out and like the stage gets swept and there's nothing there. And I don't know that, that experience has taught me to kind of, you know, at first I'd say yes to everything and it crushed me. It crushed me. Um, the joke I like to say is like, I, you know, when I, when I don't see work on my calendar, I'll go to the money tree and shake it and be like, and we got any gigs. And then, you know, what ends up inevitably happening is those coconuts fall and they crush me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, two or three months goes by and like, I haven't been home and it's been gig, 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 roll, fly, fly, gig, you know, trucks, gig. Um, and that's just not how I want to live anymore. And I don't, I, if COVID hadn't happened, I was geared up to have an even more intense 2020 in the live event industry than I did in 2019. And, uh, I'm happy that didn't happen. And it's shifted. I feel like all of this that I'm like, the things I'm going through right now are defining my next steps as a photographer. And I'm kind of just along for the ride a little bit. I'm really lucky in that. I mean, I was able to ride this year out uh, between having some money saved up. Uh, You know, the down payment for my first house got spent, (laughs) Um, but I, I didn't go broke this past year. Um, so I kind of looked at it again as just spending more time with my f- work, um, getting back, you know, get uh, getting that archive edited 
um, spending time with images that I haven't had the space to edit or the skill to edit yet. Um, spending time writing about photography topics and building my website and trying to kind of come up with, you know, my kind of photography method. Um, I like to relate it back to kind of music. Um, what I used to do when I taught music, uh, for, for about four or five years, I was teaching about 20 students a week, guitar, bass, and piano. And I, I kind of found my little niche with like songwriting and improvisation and like trying to teach people how to like make music or improv music. Um, and I wasn't like, Hey, teach me how to play guns and roses, you know, tapping. That wasn't my shtick. It was more like, why do you like that song? Why do you like the tapping? Why do you want to play that? And then from there, I try to spur off their own love for the thing um, and give them other styles of music to listen to. And, and I don't know, that's still deep, such a part of me. And it's a part of me as like an artist. And that's kind of how I want to teach photography too. I want to kind of create a method that is technical, but also creative. Um, Cause it's kind of the type of person I am. Man, you've given, given me a lot to unpackage here and I'm trying to figure out a, a good way to ask a question because I have so many curious thoughts going through my mind right now. But one of them is around what you had said about slowing down and kind of trying to figure out how you want to be who you are in the photography space. But then also at the same time, you talked about developing a system um, for teaching and, and how you want to use your photography to help others. And I'm just curious, like, what are you doing consciously to move that mission within your mind forward into the future? Uh, I feel like, I feel like there are different states of creativity and different states of process that occur, whether it's like you're brainstorming. I have a four foot wide whiteboard on my wall right here that's just like ideas um i have been working to create pre uh, powerpoint presentations has been like a really good thing is kind of just outlining the th the areas of photography where i see places where i've kind of developed my own way to do th things or at least like structured them um to give some form to like a teaching process. I like repeatability. I like to be able to have like a standing operating, you know, protocol. Um, but I do that. So that way, when it comes time to create, I can be fully creative. Right. I can lean, I can lean on a workflow or yeah. lean on a, a path to do something. Yeah. No, and I'm the, I'm the same this, way, especially um, in Photoshop. I, you know, well, and, uh, interesting, you know, I took a, yeah, exactly. Um, I actually, my, my whole concept I've you know there's a couple of things, um, uh, in the last like year and a half or about a year ago, I, I stumbled into the world of flow state. I've heard guys like Guy Tal or Colleen Minuik talk about it. And then I finally got a book on it and I started reading up about it. And I realized like this idea of flow state is something that's been like part of my creative life, like my whole life. Um, you just didn't know it had a name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And 
I what I found was is is I started to I did a presentation for actually out of Chicago's online event in April this year. Um, big shout out to Chris Smith and them. They really got some awesome things going on. And Chris yeah. gave I you know I hit him up and said, hey could I teach something? And Chris was like, can you? <laughs> and, um, that sounds so like I kinda did, yeah, yeah. It's like, how about it? Um, so I, you know, I did, I, I did a presentation about workflow and like structurizing stuff. So that way you can find more flow. And for, cause for me, I'm not all, I'm not in the ether all the time. I want like structure um, at times. And I want to be able to like, when I go out into the field, I have what I do with my camera pretty much every time, you know, how I focus deck, how I shoot. So that way, again, it's all muscle memory and I can then be in nature and react. Um, and this goes back to the concert photography world for me. It was the same idea of like, I, I don't have time to fiddle fart around. I need to be able to look through my camera and know what exposure or shutter speed, uh, you know, I need to get what I can get totally. because the, the moment's gone um, and you lost it. Active steps I've been making towards this method of mine, um, again, has been trying to, you know, uh, uh, watch, listen and learn as much as I can and put it to practice and and keep editing and editing and editing. I feel like like uh, on the stuff you leave on the editing room floor ultimately defines who you are. You know, it's the stuff you don't include. It's the stuff, you know, it's the notes you don't play as, you know, they used to say. So for me, uh, you know, giving myself structure lets, allows me to be creative. And I know a lot of, for me, I've been on a path of consistency, trying to have a consistent, you know, something through my work. I, I don't still know what it is. Um, it's hard for me to define my own work like that. Um, but I do feel some consistency, at least through my workflow and how I manage my, my images. And, um, I've developed, you know, my own little kind of like editing cue in Lightroom where I'm dealing with how I work through my images. Um, and I spend a lot of time on my work. I mean, for every image you see, there's like 15 you're not seeing <laughs> that I'm still working on that I love that I want to show to people, but there's only so much time too. And it's interesting you, know. you bring up the concept of time in this because for me, the reason why I have a very structured workflow now, it's all about time management. Like I don't have the time to spend six hours on one photograph. Like if I did, I would, I have to quit my full time job and probably divorce my wife. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. so for me, the development of a system of editing that is consistent um, is crucial for my personal time management and sanity. And so, like, I usually walk through the same steps, like mostly through like you know Lightroom, and then I jump over to Photoshop, and then I use like a set of very specific luminosity masks on almost every image. Of course, every tweak I make to the image is different but I'm walking through the same steps. And then of course, like the final step I use is like, you know, sharpening and all that. But for me, that's just like, it makes, I mean, I used to spend hours on one photo and, and maybe those photos are 8% better, but I have <laughs> yeah. like 
900% fewer images if I did that every time. So I don't know which one is better. I have, I just don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and depending on what your goals are, you know, um, you know, this, it's the same sort of deal when I, I relate it to live events is you only have so much time to get this thing achieved. And when you, when you're a producer, like for a producer, for an event, your, your job is to like, take this idea that a client has and then strip away all the crap because it can only be done in X amount of time. Right. So <laughs> uh, your own goals and needs with your art should come before anybody else's. And I feel like that's been a process that I've come to as I've slugged my way through social media to just realize I don't really... I, I try to not care about what anybody else thinks and I'm just doing this for me. And that's kind of leads back to that struggle of whether or not to make this the sole source of my income. Um, because then even more, you have to worry about what other people think about it. Um, totally. And I, I feel like, you know, the, the Lightroom Photoshop world, like I, I love Lightroom for just like reliving my images. Like there's times where I, 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 I rate, I, I have all sorts of rating systems and I've built like some smart, smart, um, collections. So that way, like, as I throw them into an editing queue, I can go back and scan through. And a lot of times I'll just go through and look at my stuff and pick and choose and kind of sink, you know, spend a little time there and okay, you know, put this, maybe I'll jump over to light, you know, to Photoshop, um, start, you know, assembling it, you know? And for me, that's a big part of like getting my stuff to like the assembled form. So then that way I can just kind of poke and prod and tweak as I go. And sometimes like, sometimes I'll just have an image on my mind and I can't get it out of my head. And like, I have to like sit down and like, edit it. Um, I, I haven't had many recently, uh, but I've had a few that I just like, you know, from, I was like from 2018, it just popped into my head that there's this one scene that I just finally just threw in a Photoshop and, and started, you know, sinking my teeth in. Um, yeah. And so. No, it's, it's funny. Um, it's interesting how, our motivations and our constraints and all of those things that make us individuals informs our approach to the craft and to editing and to what we share and why we share. And I find that to be some of the most interesting uh, aspects of, you know, these types of conversations. So I appreciate you deep diving into that with me. <laughs> I am um, on one, one point of that. So I think, what when I first started Instagram, I did a 365 project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> worst thing ever. It was <laughs> yeah, because you don't produce I, great work on a 365. Uh, no, you, and you learn a lot. You learn a ton. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it was. I was spending an hour to two hours a day posting, and you know, figuring out what to process to post it. And to put my, um, to put my 30 hashtags on it and to, you know, spend all that time. And I started, you know, again, I, I got an Instagram in 2015 and I was posting mixtures of concert photography and some cityscapes and, you know, um, and I started my account underneath my business name, visual suplex. And I, I spent all that time doing the 365 project. You know how many followers I got from that? Probably 300, <laughs> you know, 
in the beginning. And 250 and was, of them were bots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, ah, yeah, that was the downsides. You know, it, it sucked, man. Every Because every day I was stressed out about posting. I had to get a post out. I had to do something. I And I made it, man. I didn't skip a day. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't skip a day. And I didn't do any duplicates. But I tell you, on January 1st, that next year, I was like, I'm done with this. I can't. I oh, it was so bad, but like you said, I learned a lot about. Um, I learned a lot about. Well, what it did do is it made photography be part of my life every day. Mm-hmm. Every day, I had to shoot something or edit something, and it was just like photography, photography, photography. It was, yeah, it was there. Um, and you know, that's a huge thing. You know, like if somebody asked me if I would do it again. I don't know. That's a hard, hard I, thing to say. I, I feel know? like if you're, especially if you're new to photography or if you're in a creative um, slump, a 365 or even like a Project 52 where you do one, one a week, I feel like that's a really great way to just like immerse yourself in photography and really just, and if, I don't know, it might be obvious, but for people that don't know, a 365 is you take a picture usually on a theme once a day new theme every day. You can either make those themes yourself or you can go online and find one and then you have to edit it. And, you know, when I first started in photography and I got my first camera, that was actually one of the smartest things I feel like I did is I I started a 365 project and, you know, I would do a self-portrait with using flash or I would do a composite image of, of my wife in different parts of the house and like Photoshop in her in the same room on the same photo like it just teaches you a lot of about what's possible creatively and then and then it hones in and refocuses like what you're really interested in so i think i think it's a super valid approach but damn it's exhausting (laughs) oh god i mean it goes back to we always talk about being an influencer where you have these people who expect expect the new youtube drop every week you know or yeah Um, and I could only imagine, I mean, back then I was, I was, I felt like I was scraping the bottom of the barrel for (laughs) so few followers and it's, you know, um, I got a little over 4,600, you know, Instagram followers and I feel like I have worked my ass off for them. And I appreciate all the people that follow me and inner, inner, you know, that I know and have been part of the ride and whoever who give me like real feedback and stuff. But like, man, it's been a struggle. I mean, it's, um, I feel like anybody who's just starting onto any platform without any sort of, um, no, you know, any sort of following somewhere else, man, it's an uphill battle. Um, you know, it's funny though, this is just perspective, but when I hit 20,000, which to some people might sound like a lot and to other people is like nothing. I honestly stopped caring. It's, and I started thinking, like, why Why does a number of Instagram followers even matter? Like, there's no, doesn't really do anything to help me. And I don't know, I feel like when you start thinking about it that way, um, it changes your entire approach to why you even post to begin with. Yeah, well, and I got a question for you. What <laughs> happens if, what would you do if you lost those 20,000 followers? Would you start another Instagram account? Uh, I've never even had to think about that before, but I don't know. I'm maybe I just wouldn't even. I would just maybe leave the platform, right? Uh, but but honestly, I don't 
what I like about Instagram has nothing to do with my follower count. It has nothing to do with like, honestly, I don't think I've ever made a sale off Instagram. I think I had someone tell me they like my wife found you on Instagram, like, and I bought, I liked your photos. So I bought a print. I mean, I've seen that a couple of times, but like in terms of reward out of the effort you put into it, it's usually not that much. And so at least on the commercial side, but what I do get a lot out of Instagram is the community aspect and like, you know, looking at other people's work and commenting on it and engaging with people authentically and like having them do the same and, and like just feeling that sense of community and camaraderie and relationships with other people. I find that is a huge value for that platform. So, and you can do that with 300 followers, with a thousand followers, with a hundred thousand followers. So I think it's just a matter of what do you actually want to get out of the thing that you're putting your effort into. And I think when you ask yourself that question, it changes how you use it. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of a personal journey into it. I mean, it's, it's yeah. funny because I just got on Twitter. Um, and <laughs> You and everyone and else. Been, yeah. And it's been kind of awesome to like not give a shit. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, know, I spend not... more time on Twitter than Instagram just because before, before NFTs, Twitter was like this nice little haven um, where like 50 photographers would hang out and someone would post a question and then we would all just banter and go back and forth and it was super authentic and like people were themselves and there was not this veneer of, you know, like trying to impress others. It was just, and now it's like turning into Instagram. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I like, I, I remember back in the day where I was like tweeting stupid, but I realized that there's this like train of thought thing with it. That's really refreshing where if I get a random idea in my head, I can just post it. I got to throw it up there. I don't have to like yeah. curate, curate my four by five cropped image with my 30 hashtags to, to, you know, if I, you know, if I want to come up with about, a good caption for it. Yeah. Then nobody reads and we're, you know, and I get that that's the difference between the platforms and, you know, it's, um, you know, and uh, it's, it's just been a weird ride with that. And to not be on Instagram before the the algorithm change, you know, mm -hmm. that's the other thing is like a lot of people picked up a lot of these followers because it was easier to get them. Mm -hmm. And then now to get those followers, I, you know, I feel like it's really hard to do it and not like challenge your integrity, you know, like you either have to be getting sh uh, sharing accounts, like giving your images away to free to, um, you know, a sharing account so they can post it for their own hundreds of thousands of followers and they get the monies from that and you get maybe 10 followers, um, you know, or you have to sit there and tell everybody, have a great day, have a great day, have a great day and be like, you know, and up the, up, up that angle. And, and that's how you want to be. That's cool. It's, but it's just like to try to be me and it can, and to like gain some following has been hard with Instagram. Um, and like, yeah, I want to say I don't care, but I do care. Uh, I, I, I want to hit, I want to hit a point where I do feel like I can just be like, all right, I don't care anymore. And I kind of was like that with like 4,000 followers, but what's the number, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it could be 10,000, it could be a hundred thousand. Um, you know, I think we, there was a, there was a Twitter Fred, maybe you were part of two. We were, or maybe it was Facebook. We were talking about like, 
percentages. Like even guys like Max Riv, you know, he's getting less percentage of likes from his follower pool than I get from my follower pool. And that means more to me. Um, And it's taken a... I mean, companies measure that. It's called engagement. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, but there comes a point where like, if you want to be a workshop leader, you kind of need a certain amount of clout. You know, like if you want to start a podcast and you don't have any social reach, it's going to be really hard to start your podcast. So we're still kind of like at this whim of like, how do you, you know, you got to, you got to like stick your flag in the ground somewhere. Right. And like start to build around that following. Um, Yeah. Although I don't know, like when I started my podcast, I think I had four or 5,000 people on Instagram maybe 4,000 on Facebook, which is a graveyard now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it was, um, I don't know, it was more about relationship building. And I know, I think what most people will tell you is, and I think you're kind of working on this with your new website, but really it's about building a mailing list and and, and a, and a, a platform of some kind to reach your audience in a regular and authentic way that your audience values. And the numbers don't actually matter that much, I don't think. And it probably doesn't even really matter what what avenue you choose. But I mean, wouldn't you rather have 200 people that always commented on your photos versus 100,000 followers? You know what I mean? Like it's, and all like 50,000 of those are just like random accounts who don't even know who you are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or the bots, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's somebody who's just starting out. It's hard to see through that, right? It is. And it's hard it's hard to grasp that concept. Um because you know, everybody's fighting for the likes, man. And for sure. If you can if you can let go of that, um it social media can be really really awesome and really powerful. I mean, I am on this podcast right now because I cold called you and said, "Hey, let me be on your podcast." Um, I started working with, uh, I mean, almost every f- photographic opportunity I have has been leveraging social media to just talk to people and to just reach out to people. Right. But um, it had nothing to do with how many followers you had. Like it didn't, but if somebody, I mean, I didn't look at yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I, that's great. That's awesome. Matt. I appreciate that. <laughs> I know some people probably do, right? Like you hit somebody up and say, Hey, they need, you know, they at least need to know, like, oh, if you want to teach something, well, is there, you know, how, how do we know if you're even making images or, you know, or I don't know, like it's, um, it's such well, a I weird mean, thing. To be fair, like it depends on what you're measured by, you know, like yeah, I fairly regularly get people that ask, you know, email me or send me a message on Instagram or whatever that want to be on the podcast. And like the first thing I usually ask people is like, okay, great. What, like, what? do you want to talk about that's interesting, that's valuable, that people would engage with? And then second, I go look at their work. And if their work is even semi-decent, but they have interesting things to say, that's way more interesting to me than someone who has the best photography on the planet, but they have nothing exciting to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's because mm-hmm. I'm, that's because I have a podcast and I've learned that just because you can make good photography doesn't mean you can have a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Well, yep. 
Yeah. And that's probably why some people you've tried to get on your podcast just have never come, come on because <laughs> they're like, no, thanks. You know, yeah, I'm no, not into that. That's fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. Well, awesome, man. So I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. So much fun. I would, next thing I was just curious if you could tell us a little bit about your upcoming workshops and other ways that uh, listeners can engage with you. Well, um, thanks, man. Yeah, this is, uh, this has really been, a real great opportunity. I, I get, thank you so much for letting me on here. Um, get to talk with you. Um, yeah, so I am aiming to open up my first workshop this fall. Um, it's probably going to be an Oregon coast, um, extravaganza, um, some sort of trip. Um, I'm so much fun. Oh man. I mean, it's like one of the best times of year to be out on the coast out here. Um, it's, uh, Currently, the best way to kind of get, you know, stay in the loop with me is um, signing up for my newsletter. Um, you can get to my website, jordanengley.com slash subscribe. Um, I'm also been doing uh, some more one-on-one kind of teaching with people. Um, and I have, I have a couple plans that I'm trying to get rolling for the fall too, of doing like a, like a weekly, like a weekly processing class of just like take, you know, spending like an hour or two with an image and just let people kind of join on and watch and, and learn. And, um, I've had, you know, kind of some ideas to like, ultimately my goals are to start to, you know, once my, my goal is to start to work directly with people and almost in more of like a mentorship type deal. And, um, I'm hoping to, you know, I'm still kind of formulating a lot of these details and like getting ready to kind of make the big release. Um, uh, you know, and I'm currently working on my website right now and getting a new release of that finished. Mm-hmm. So like, like normal, there's all these different priorities that take up the time. And, and before I know it, a bunch of time goes by and my workshop's not out yet. So hopefully by the time people listen to this podcast, um, they can sign up for that workshop. Um, but you can still go to my website. You can contact me about some one-to-one like zoom trainings. Um, I'm, I love talking with people about gear and processing and photography. So, you know, don't hesitate if you ever want to ask me a question or tell me my stuff sucks. I'm, I love it. Let's, let's hang out. That's funny. Yeah. No, sometimes we, we need that. You know, we need someone to level with us. That's who, who isn't our friend who's just going to tell us how it is. We need it more often than we get it. Um, and I like, I, you know, the New Yorker in me. Is like I, you know, the people you love the most, you're kind of a dick to, and like, Absolutely. it's been hard to live. It's it's been hard to like deal with the 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 Twitter sphere or the Instagram world where everybody's like super nice to each other because it seems. I'm sorry, but it seems so fake. It's just not where I grew up, and like, um, I've I've learned to get better at it. Organs made me softer. Definitely. So, oh man, uh, don't get me started on the passive aggressive Northwest attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Right. And, and then, and then you, you know, go and then they talk shit about you uh, behind your back. Yeah. They write like a four page letter and like stick it to your mailbox. <laughs> right. Um, put it on your so, windshield. Yeah. 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 So, you know, anybody out there listening, if you want like real deal conversation, you want some honesty, hit me up. I will gladly give you some. I love that. All right, Jordan. So who would you recommend our listeners know about or hear on the podcast? 
All right. So um, one of the first ones, uh, you know, I, I had to limit my numbers here, but one of my favorite photographers that not that many people know of, his name is Paul Grossman. Um, he's uh, Australian and he, he's mainly, he shoots a lot of um, telephoto wave images. Um, mm -hmm. He shoots, you know, in the water um, and he has this like uncanny way of making waves look like mountains. Hmm. Um, and he has some of the most, I just, for me, like intense in your face style wave imagery. Um, and I love that style of work. Um, I kind of try to be that style with like in your face, uh, type stuff like that. Um, I would say, you know, hopefully you can reach out to him. I've had some good DMS with him and he seems super chill. Um, so I'd love for him to end up on the podcast. Um, awesome. another, another photographer by goes by the name of Fa Francois Casanova. Um, that's, that's, I promise not a, that, that's not a real name. <laughs> I promise it's his Instagram handle. Um, <laughs> this guy, um, was one of the first artists I found who was taking 360 panoramas and oh, turning yeah. them into, into like 2d images, um, with like, he has these crazy tree images where he was, you know, it kind of in, is in that world of like the tiny planet, but if they're in super high resolution and mm -hmm. processed really well, um, He's just got some really cool, like mind bending type work. Um, it kind of makes you just like ask what you're looking at. I, I love that sort of stuff. I used um, to do a ton of um, tiny planets back in the day. Yeah. They it's were fun. kind of a trend, trendy thing. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, yeah, I love, I, I definitely enjoy the process of creating like the 360 panos. And I have like a, a nodal head that I used to use all the time and, and like, the fact that you could capture things with like a 36 megapixel or 47 megapixel camera, um, these, you know, you can create these insanely high resolution images that you, that you can now use technology to like VR and virtually visit. Um, and to see that stuff that's typically reserved for like real estate work being used in like nature, uh, and, you know, wilderness photography is just really cool. Um, and I, it kind of like goes back to like my earlier days when I was like really about pushing this visual suplex, like, like, like assaulting level of like, uh, imagery in your face. Um, so I really enjoyed that type of work. So, um, he was, he was one of the first guys that got me into doing that style of like panorama. Um, I also wanted to throw out there somebody I've ran into recently that I, He's got some really great work, but he has some success in the NFT space, and that's Ben Strauss. Um, I figured, I, you know, just so, somebody recently that I've met through Twitter. I wanted to like bring somebody over that I've like I never saw his work before until I connected with him on Twitter. So he's a really, um, I think his work would be really cool. It'd be really, really awesome to get somebody who's been successful with the NFTs again to kind of talk more about how he's managing the insides and the ins and outs of it. You know. Um, I also had this guy, um, uh, or this one photographer, Gabe Rodriguez, um, is, he's not the biggest name known photographer, but he's actually the photographer that introduced me to who Ryan Dyer was or Nick Page was, or any of the style of the big fantastical, um, like landscapes. Um, he was the guy, he was the first photographer I met on Instagram where I was like, 
how do you do this? And he was like, download, you know, go, go get these tutorials, check out this work. And he, he kind of connected me to people. So I just like to give him a shout out. He does a lot of portraiture work now. Um, so that's it, another really cool thing of like, you know, somebody who's a little bit multidisciplinary um, to get somebody on the show. Um, and I guess my last one I wanted to throw out there was Jen Grand. Um, and I think maybe she's been brought up before, but um, just an awesome, uh, awesome Pacific Northwest female photographer. I love her work. It's super clean. Um, I mean, it's fun to get, you know, somebody again, local to our area on the podcast. So awesome. I think that's, yeah. Cool, man. Well, this has mm-hmm. been super fun and I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where you take this. I appreciate it, Matt. Like, um, I've, like I said, it's, uh, the, the process of kind of moving through this semi-career of photography has been about just being direct with people and reaching out to people. And I appreciate the opportunity to like get on this podcast. I've been listening from the get-go and I've loved just like, I've really enjoyed seeing your progress with this podcast and um, just to even be on the same list as some of the people you've had on this thing is such a blessing and such an opportunity. Um, so it means a lot to me. I like, yeah, I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, again, thanks again. This has been fun. It's, it's always good to, you know, peel back the layers of the onion and, and see what, see what we can find. And I think we did a really good job of that today. So kudos to you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. You too, man. Take care. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Jordan for the great chat on the podcast and for being honest about your struggles. I think we could all do some introspection around these struggles we have as photographers and be more open to having meaningful dialogue with each other about these subjects. So thank you for opening the door to that arena, Jordan. I wanted to remind listeners that we have a club over on Clubhouse, the popular audio-based social media app. On our club, we have weekly after parties uh, hosted by listeners. Huge thanks to Bree Stockwell, Jennifer Grand, Michael Torkeldson, and Frank Otto Peterson for helping to host those chats. The idea is to provide a platform for listeners to engage with each other after each show to have a conversation. On occasion, both me and the guests will make appearances as well. So if that sort of thing interests you, search for our club on Clubhouse or look for a link in the show notes. If you have any questions about the Clubhouse app, please feel free to reach out. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.